0: Welcome to the May edition of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi.
1: And I'm Howard Marlow.
0: Thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. On today's episode, we will briefly cover earmarks in the 118th Congress, recent legislation for offshore wind that provides funding to coastal communities and coastal projects, a disappointing jobs report in the offshore wind space, and an update on congressional activities. Let's get started. So earmark portals uh, for members of Congress have just closed as of maybe a week or two ago. Uh, they all varied office to office, but both House and Senate portals are closed. And there are a variety of projects that we know, coastal projects that we know were funded. Now because there's no appropriations bill put together or, and not yet any sort of repository on appropriations committee websites, we just know the projects uh, that we've been involved with for our clients as well as a few others. But I just want to point out, um, there is a significant amount of money for things like beach nourishment. I saw the New Jersey Senators, Senator Menendez, Senator Booker, uh, both uh, requested a significant amount of funding for coastal projects in New Jersey. Um, Beyond beach nourishment, we're also seeing funding for uh, stormwater, stormwater outfalls. There are projects that were funded, um, again, clients as far as in the Grand Strand, which is Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach area, um, as well as Tybee Island, Georgia. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities out there. We even got some affordable housing for a coastal community, uh, city of North bend. So this is just a reminder, those funds are out there and to all coastal communities, make sure that you're reaching out to your members of Congress, your senators, um, and, you know, see if there's an opportunity to bring some of this money home because a lot of the smaller communities don't have all the resources that large cities and, you know, larger counties have. So, This money can really be helpful for a variety of coastal resilience type projects.
1: Things that the earmark process provides that, uh, as an alternative to grant application, are one, it's a lot easier. You still have to go through filling out forms online. But the fact is that it is a lot easier than a grant application. There are, once you get awarded money by Congress, there's still requirements for obviously it's public money so you want to be sure it's being used for the purpose that it was intended but other than that I mean we've also got uh, highway funds for let's say city of Solana Beach mm-hmm. historic preservation funds at least what that, that's what I would call it for city of San Clemente there are a variety of needs that are there in any community and look ahead now to next year and if you're planning by the end of this year to get your projects in place, which means by getting your planning ready, your supporting documentation and all those things, then by the time of January next year you'll be able to be in good position to make use of that earmark process.
0: Yeah, if you have a shovel ready project, you know, why not ask? Because, you know, one of my favorite things is don't ask, don't get, right? <laughs> no way. No way. So, and uh, it's just a reminder, they are, in many cases, it, it varies by program depending on whether you're asking for transportation funds, beach nourishment funds, um, but in certain programs, it's it's like doing a reverse grant. So you know the money's there, you know you're going to be awarded that money, but there is a bit of, you know, there is some paperwork to fill out, but uh, better to know that the money's there and you have to work towards it as opposed to putting in a lot of effort, you know, hiring a grant manager or someone to prepare the grant for you you know, which is pretty expensive these days, then to find out that, you know, you you were unsuccessful. So earmarks, uh, really a great thing, a lot of transparency um, ever since they returned, and uh, it's a good thing for coastal communities to be involved with. Moving on to recent legislation um, for offshore wind, which also provides uh, funding to uh, coastal communities and coastal projects. Um, And this legislation has actually shown up in two bills, uh, the Save, Limit, and Grow Act of 2023, which is H.R. 1, and then there's also the debt ceiling bill, which is kind of taking the spotlight right now, which is H.R. 2811. Uh, both bills contain provisions relating to the revenues derived from the sale or lease of areas along the outer continental shelf for offshore wind. So last year, BOEM brought in over five $5 billion in revenue from offshore wind lease areas uh, in the New York Bight area. And currently those funds are deposited into the General Treasur- Treasury and a variety of other conservation funds connected to that. Uh, the House legislation uh, would direct 50% of offshore wind revenue to impacted states and political subdivisions based on their geographic proximity to a wind farm. So if you have a wind farm off your uh, off your coast, the closer you are to it, uh, the more money you would receive. 37.5% to the North American Wetlands Conservation Fund and 12.5% into the General Treasury. Now, last year in the 117th Congress, the Senate proposed S-2130, uh, also known as RISE, RISEE, R-I-S-E-E, uh, which would direct f- uh, 50% of offshore wind revenues to the general treasury, 37.5% uh, to states and political subdivisions, and 12.5% to the National Oceans and Coastal Security Fund. Um, so, you know, both of these bills use similar numbers, but they kind of toss around money to different places. And I think that the uh, it's definitely going that those funds are definitely going to end up one into the general treasury, uh, two into states and political subdivisions, and then three into some fund, whether it's the North American Wetlands Conservation Fund or the National Ocean and Coastal Security Fund. It's going to be the one or the other, and then they have to agree on which numbers correspond to each of those programs. Um, I think that the RISE bill probably has a greater chance of holding on to those numbers. Um, particularly, you know, from our point of view as a coastal-focused firm, the National Oceans and Coastal Security Fund uh, does a little bit more for shorelines than the, than the North American Wetlands Conservation Fund does. So we would prefer that. Um, but I think just generally, those numbers are going to be going to need to be worked out. You know, the Senate version directs 50% of revenues to the General Treasury, whereas the House version only directs 12.5%. That's that's a lot when you look at the actual dollars.
1: Amazing amount of money, and I think that's something that coastal community organizations—I wish there was a more active one on the national level—should um, be working on the details of and advocating to make sure that that money gets into the hands, to the greatest extent possible, of the coastal communities that are going to be basically adversely affected by and certainly impacted by the um, offshore wind projects that are planned.
0: Certainly, and one of the the best things uh, you know about this language is, uh, and and we worked to get this these specific words, our favorite words, beach nourishment, into that bill because before it said coastal hurricane protection, uh, it did not name beach nourishment, which you know as as we know can sort of get lost in the mix when you just mentioned coastal protection. The CORE uses various acronyms, you know, they've got flood risk management, coastal storm risk management, with which technically mean the same thing, but can also arguably mean different things. So it's important to have those, those key words in there. So some of the funding that does go to states and local political subdivisions can be used for all sorts of things related to coastal resilience, including beach nourishment.
1: Very important.
0: Moving on to jobs, a Scottish jobs study showed that the offshore wind industry only produced one tenth of the jobs politicians and the wind industry promised it would bring. Union workers called it an embarrassment. To support American jobs in the American energy transition, Congressman Garamendi of California recently secured language in the Coast Guard Act of 2023 that would require all vessels servicing U.S. offshore wind facilities affected by the Jones Act to ensure at least 80% of their crew members are Americans. Offshore wind developers are currently relying on cheap foreign lab- labor to staff their service vessels and will continue to do so without such legislation, which is a blow to American jobs. And according to an interior uh, interior press release last month, the South Fork Wind Project in New York will create 165 short-term construction jobs over two years, giving way to only 10 long-term jobs once operation and maintenance begins. That's really not a huge number, considering when you look at what the state of New Jersey and, and other you know state governments are talking about, tens of thousands of jobs. I just don't see where they're coming from. And you know, of course, South Fork Wind is, I think it's only 130, maybe 132 megawatts, something like that. It's 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 very, very small compared to some of the other projects that are proposed, like Ocean Wind in New, in New Jersey, which is 1,100 megawatts. But the problem is we don't, in the United States, we don't have the ships. So if there's only one ship or two ships, right, constructing these wind farms, it's going to be the same crew members who are relied on time and time again, And even if it's not, if it's different crew members, well, then those people, those individuals who worked for, say, two years on the construction, well, now they're going to be out of job while others work in New Jersey to construct their wind farm. So unless my my point is the the process is one turbine at a time, right? It's not like we can just go out there and have 100, 100 vessels constructing 100 wind turbines in one day. So it's really the same crew members over and over and over again. So unless you're talking about the on-land jobs related to supply chain and servicing and things like that, I, 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 and I've seen the reports from New Jersey and other states, I just don't know how they get there to numbers like 45,000 new jobs.
1: Yeah, it's I, not going to happen. And I think about those who've listened in the past to us know that we have concerns about offshore wind. Let's put that aside for a moment and know that—here's an example— if you're going to lay cable from uh, Ocean Wind One off New Jersey to Ocean City, New Jersey, those cable laying jobs and ships do not have to be American. There is a major exception to the Jones Act, uh, which permits that. The Jones Act basically require would otherwise require they be American. Ships being American, one, are jobs for Americans, two, uh, jobs for American shipbuilders, jobs for American crew members, as well as the electricians, the engineers, and everybody else who has to do the installing of these cables. I think it's important to realize that we're dealing in offshore wind, certainly, in a Opportunity for green energy, which is really being grabbed primarily, the benefits of which are being grabbed primarily by foreign companies. They will get the profits. I know they're taking a risk. They deserve to make a profit. At the same time, who, what are consumers who are going to be paying higher costs, and workers who may not be, who may be shut out, in terms of long-term jobs? What are they getting? Because it's not just installing these, it's maintaining. They're 20 to 30000000 30 year projects, which means, and they're going to be presumably re-upped, in essence, for another 20 to 30 years, just like most utilities are. So there's a long-term interest in getting these details ironed out now.
0: Yeah, and it's important that for American energy, we're creating American jobs. Yeah. And as long as foreign companies can circumvent the Jones Act and rely on cheap foreign labor from the Philippines and not even, I mean, these are, you know, what, it, you know, Danish and... and oh, they're getting
1: yeah, you know, a lot of help from Europe, Russian.
0: European developers, they're not even relying on European labor. They're relying on Philippines and other, yeah. you know...
1: It's cheap, uh, it's cheap labor. And, uh, you know, having been recently on a shift myself, I know uh, there was not U.S. flag. I know you know, what chief labor is. Yep. You see it all over these ships. Right. So I, I I want it to be American jobs. I want American workers and American consumers to benefit this from, from any development that is benefiting from our renewable energy push.
0: So the bill that we just mentioned um, a little bit ago, the debt ceiling bill, that's tied into a variety of other things, permitting reform, um, there's also a couple of other things going on in Congress related to FEMA uh, running out of money. Um, Howard, why don't you give us, give us the scoop?
1: Well, it's uh, a real mess. <laughs> I think it's easier to say that the House Republicans have passed a uh, a measure which would increase the debt ceiling, which is important because as interest rates rise, the interest on our debt is increasing. So, therefore, we have to be able to pay our debts off. We have to pay interest on our loans. We have to meet some debt obligations that are coming due and issue new bonds. That's the way our government has functioned for certainly decades, if not a century. So, therefore, what happens when you can't pay off debt? Apparently, by June 1st, we're going to find out. Because if you can't raise the debt limit, then government gets into significant trouble that will you know go down to banks and what they can do for you and me as consumers as well as what banks can do for our government our foreign credit our credit standing in the foreign market immediately for the first time in history takes a, a dive what the republicans have done is to tie an increase in the debt ceiling to a significant decrease in spending, but also a rollback in some of the, particularly the tax credit provisions of uh, the uh, renewable energy uh, the, from bill.
0: the Inflation Reduction Act. Thank there's you. a significant amount of of credits that are repealed, and I believe one of the major changes is is changing the date in which those credits for projects in which those credits are available. So I believe it's any any renewable energy project that began construction prior to January 1st, 2022, is eligible. And as you and I both know, a lot of these projects are relying on our tax dollars in the form of tax credits, so uh, in some cases as yet. much as 40%. Yeah. So,
1: so that's, that's something that's passed the House. The Republican minority in the Senate has said right now that they will follow the lead of their House Republican leadership. The Democrats have said that they don't want to tie debt limit increase to any spending decrease uh, or any certainly eliminating any of the credits uh, that come out of the Inflation Reduction Act and the other provisions passed last year. So at the moment, uh, we have a seemingly reconcilable difference. Uh, the president has said he will meet with the leadership this week, uh, that is the Republican and Democratic leadership of Congress, to talk about what might be done. But I would say it's going to look uh, very bleak uh, for the next month, possibly a little bit more, uh, before we know. Now, that gets tied To all of the appropriations work that needs to be done, because if you can't agree on what spending, the overall spending limits, then you can't agree on appropriation bills. So, yes, there will be movement on bills and bills will be there already is movement, but. The fact of the matter is it can't come to fruition, can't come to a passage of an appropriation bill, let's say, for the Corps of Engineers or for any agency until they have this kind of agreement. So that represents real problems throughout the rest of the year. Starting and then on issues of permitting, very important to a lot of people who are listening because federal permits are a real pain. Uh, the permitting process primarily real pain, is a real pain. So Senator Manchin says he wants to try again on a permitting reform bill. We'll see what happens. We haven't seen a bill from him yet and whether he's going to get support. He has been very critical as a Democrat of uh, President Biden, almost been personal in terms of the uh, criticism. We also have a situation where FEMA is running out of money and is getting totally overloaded with debt that they can't pay off. They already had 16 billion of debt forgiven two years ago or more now.
0: And this is tied to the NFIP, the National, yeah, flood, insurance National flood Insurance Program. Yeah, the National
1: Flood Insurance Program. I'm really sure that's a good yeah. point. We're really talking about the NFIP. So with the Flood Insurance Program, they're saying that they've got 20 billion more in debt that they can't pay off. It is accruing $1 million a day in interest payments to the federal treasury. So that's just growing. And they need help. Well, the help that they need really is not just one, an easy one. They need to forgive, have Congress forgive that debt, uh, which I think will probably happen, whether this Congress, next year, a year after or something like that the
0: 20 billions a lot i mean you you and i have talked on i think on this podcast or at least in some of our e water logs about you know the cost of doing beach nourishment which is not billions we're talking a couple hundred million Millions. right but you know you've mentioned before that is just the united states cost of doing business yeah right but when you're forgiving 20 billion dollars in flood insurance debt what oh, do you i mean especially since it was just a few years ago that $16 billion was forgiven. You know, you just, you just, what sort of reform? We already have, we already have Flood Risk 2.0, which, which is supposed to better inform what people should pay. I mean, where do you go from here? But
1: f- Flood Risk 2.0 apparently has caused 100,000 or more uh, homeowners to get out of the program. Mm-hmm they've dropped flood insurance which only costs more money because insurance is not paying for any of the costs of damage that may occur to those 100,000 or more people who have dropped so the, you know in other words you pay for things in one place or you pay for them double or triple another place so what do you do and then uh, FEMA, has, uh, as an agency, has set up a package of 17 proposals that we haven't had a chance to look at yet that have everything from uh, trying to reform another effort of reforming the NFIP to uh, reauthorizing it. We know that re- it gets reauthorized every a few months.
0: Pretty mu- at this point, pretty much. It's and, not annually. Then
1: For the last six years it has been reauthorized for months at a time. So uh, just getting it reauthorized means that they can continue to issue policies.
0: And continue to rack up debt.
1: That too. (laughs) But for those who have policies coming due, they always want to know that they can renew them, even at whatever rate there may be. Um, If flood risk management 2.0 is encouraging people to, You know, get rid of flood insurance. What are you going to do? Uh, Well, they have a proposal apparently to provide more affordable uh, flood risk for people who are financially in need. Uh, That's always a difficult. Who often
0: live in more flooded areas? Yes, I mean it's it's a it's a it's a downward spiral. Yeah. I mean we have people living in dangerous areas, and you know we've talked about that before as well. It's it's very easy to tell somebody else that they sh- should leave an area they've lived in for a long time. It's just the fact is people live in dangerous areas, whether it's a flood zone, whether it's a you know a forest fire zone, tornado mm-hmm. zone, a hurricane riverine, zone, whatever yes. it is.
1: Yeah, we we have uh, huge amounts of our population, fifty uh, percent plus uh, in coastal related areas, but more as you said in uh, fire and the riverine areas and tornado areas. We're going to have more severe disasters in the coming years due to climate change. And Congress is not dealing with this issue. It is con- just kicking the can down the street because it is politically dangerous. Somebody has got to do something about this in terms of leadership and say stop because all this is doing is causing more uncertainty. For homeowners, for business owners, for insurance companies that are going bankrupt, Florida and Louisiana are themselves having difficulty because they have state programs. They're sort of nonprofit associations in which they have agreed to, uh, in essence, cover the debt of uh, these uh, or the, the uh, obligations of these insurance companies that went uh, kaput and they can't pay for them.
0: I actually think uh, uh, this—I was talking to a friend, and I can't remember many of the details, but they were saying that there's something recently changed in Florida where if you win a case, say a lawyer wins a case against an insurance company, those funds cannot be used now to pay for legal fees. Really? Because, I mean, you know how it is when you drive through Florida, there's billboards everywhere about, you know, Mm. this—you get damaged by a hurricane, fire, flood, and— you know, one, one of my buddies, his, his older brother is, is, you know, is a lawyer who has done incredibly well for himself and what, is, what he, he takes on insurance companies. And a lot of insurance companies are leaving the state because they simply can't, there's just too much risk.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's an intolerable situation that we have not yet faced as being intolerable and uh, businesses facing it by leaving states. Uh, or by going insolvent. We're going to just have to see more of that. We have to hope that this hurricane season remains mild, but that's not the prediction at the moment. So,
0: Right. So the last thing we want to talk about is is that the Water Resources Development Act. Um, be, uh, discussions are just now beginning. It's, it's still a ways out, about two years away. But if you have a project uh, that you want authorized or a funding limit increased, Whatever it may be related to water resources, now is the time to begin discussing those things because when you when WERDA has finally taken the spotlight, it's likely to be too late. These discussions need to begin now. So if you need to authorize a water resources project or it's beach nourishment, stormwater management, whatever it might be, now's the time to reach out to the Corps. We are keeping an eye out for the Section 7001 uh, proposal process, which is the avenue in which non-federal uh, potential sponsors can uh, submit projects to be recommended to, for, to Congress for authorization. So uh, if you are subscribed to Waterlog, we will let you know uh, via an e-Waterlog as soon as that is available. And we will also have um, a little bit more detail on the things we've discussed today coming out. Uh, later this month. So
1: it's very important you start ahead of time to deal as you said with the district the court lo- your local core district talk with them about what pro- project you have in mind see what suggestions they have to make it in essence sellable to congress and to the assistant secretary secretary of the army whose section 7001 report is the one that Congress abides by to a large extent, not solely, but we'll get into that in another podcast later on. But that's the way it begins. And I know we had success by starting well in advance, let's say for the folks in Waikiki, who in the last uh, of 22 started close to 2020, but certainly in 2021, to be able to get there project set up and put in a position where their delegation supported it where their district supported it and where they got authorized now they got to work on funding but you know it's the way the process starts
0: so thank you very much for tuning in we will be back with you all in june and hopefully you are all enjoying the spring
1: take care now bye-bye
0: bye-bye